0: Hello and welcome to today's edition of Family Life Today, hosted by Dave and Ann Wilson. Family Life Today is presented by Power to Change, known in the U.S. as Family Life. We hope the program will encourage you in your most important relationships. If I died, how would you help our children grieve?
1: Oh my goodness. Honestly, I can't imagine my life without you.
0: That's right. It'd
1: be empty, wouldn't it? It would be completely (laughs) empty. And, of course, that's a reality for any one of us. That could happen at any time. But to think of my grief and my loss and then to try and process that with our sons. I mean, they're married and and they've got their own kids. Uh, Man, that'd be incredibly hard. And I immediately went to what if they were 10 years old or 14 years old or 6 years old? You know, we had to watch that happened when your sister died, mm-hmm. you know, and that would be an extremely hard thing to do. And then, you know, you think, what if I remarried? Mm-hmm. Hey, there's an idea, you know, and then you have to process. You not happy other... about it. You act excited. No, I was just like, you got one process of the grieving process, but if you brought in another family, it's a whole other world. And, you know, you need help. You need somebody that deals with this kind of stuff every single day to get an answer from them. And we've got that guy on with us today, uh, Ron Deal, who directs our blended family ministry here at Family Life Today. He is sitting in the studio with us. Ron, welcome back.
2: Thank you, guys. Always good to be with you.
1: And I see you smiling there. It's like this is the kind of stuff you write about, you talk about. You're with families who are walking through this kind of stuff all the time. So how does a... A grieving spouse deal with the grief of losing their husband or wife and then maybe blending a family after that.
2: You know, sometimes I think single parents who are thrown into that situation – work really hard to connect with their kids and to grieve out loud with their children. And I I think, by the way, that's tip number one. You, You want to grieve out loud with them because they hear and see you grieve and the words that come out of your mouth and the prayers and the angst and the sadness and the sorrow, and that gives permission to them hmm. to feel the same and to express those things. And next thing you know, you sort of grieve together, which is a really important thing. But sometimes I think, Grieving parents feel, wow, I'm so overwhelmed. How am I going to keep it all together? And then they think, I've got to keep it together so my kids will keep it together. And I really think that's upside down. If you just go stoic, then your kids think, oh, the rule is we don't tell each other we're we're sad. Hmm. And we don't grieve with one another. We just all have to do it in our bedrooms all by ourselves. No, we don't want that which is why this conversation that we started yesterday a family life blended podcast with Ryan and Jess Ronnie talking about how they were both widowed found each other got married formed a blended family by the way it was a complex family eight children between the two of them and on the day they married 22 grandparents connected to those eight children
1: how There's how whole, is that possible that's I know
2: I know you you have to ask them but they're <laughs> Parents had divorced and multiple divorces, and so there were step-parents and former step-parents and, you know, but grandparents who still were invested in the lives of these eight children.
1: Mm.
2: Think about family grieving. How many people is that? I mean, already we're up to 30-plus, and we haven't counted cousins or uncles or anybody. Mm. Yeah, obviously, it's hard to manage. You can only do what you can do. And so the kids within your household is where you're going to focus. By the way, just saying that makes me think of one other thought. One of the things we know about children is that, especially young ones, um, they're sort of black and white about grief, and they may, so they've lost a parent, and it's they know it, and they feel it, and yet they don't really get their heads around it until they turn into a teenager mm. or until they turn 24, and they're graduating college, and life has a new turn, and all of a sudden they're missing their mother for the first time in a new way, and that's when the sadness comes out. And so it's one of those things where you're not really sure when it's going to pop, where it's going to pop, what form it's going to take. And, man, you walk with God, you pray about it, and then when you see it, you try to step into that space. Mm.
1: So let's go find out how the Ronnies dealt with their grief, um, the complications of blending this family in a whole new reality.
2: Grief is so individual. But if you don't know how to grieve, you kind of question how you grieve. (laughs) Then you're like, am I doing this right? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? Should I be feeling this? Should I not be feeling that? It's like, well, that's not the point. You know, uh, it is your journey. You just try to hold on to God in the midst of it and stay faithful with him. That's the one thing you definitely need to try to strive for. But the expressions of grief are going to vary so much. I'm wondering about your children. So we already heard from Ryan a little bit in terms of one of your kids said, when are we going to get another mom? But what about the other kids? How did they grieve? And what were their responses to a new person coming into their world? All that change and transition.
3: Well, Caleb had asked me the same thing. Mom, when do you think you're going to get us another dad? Hmm. And I was like, honey, it's not like I can just go to Walmart and check out a dad for you. <laughs>
2: I'm, I'm glad you told him that. <laughs>
3: Honestly, our beginning years, It was not that challenging. Kids
4: were really young. They
3: were really young, and I think that worked in our favor. We did get them into grief groups with other children. We got them into therapy, and then we moved to rural Tennessee, and it just kind of felt like everything was good. Like, this is our new family. We relied really heavily on one another, and we had a lot of fun. I would say as the kids are aging, we're going through so many things that we had never anticipated um, as they're becoming teenagers and having questions about their identity and kind of raging out, you know, about real mom, not real mom, those types of realities. Yeah. In the past couple of years, it has been far more difficult where the kids are concerned than Mm -hmm. it ever was in their younger years.
4: Yeah. And I think we started off, we didn't necessarily want to be a step family. Mm -hmm. We just wanted to be a family. Mm -hmm. So we just... Let them talk. We let them tell us whatever they felt. We were emotional in front of them. Uh, we didn't hide behind anything. So I think they they did better. Like she said, when they were really little, mm. um, mm-hmm. they just like acted like this was normal. Right. Okay. Like, good. This no. is our new
3: family. is my yeah. new
4: mom. This is my new dad. This is yeah. our new house. Um, And all these new friends to
3: play with, you know, because I brought siblings and he brought siblings. So it was like fun.
4: They meshed so well. Mm -hmm. Okay. And by the way, young
2: children, that's pretty common for them to do. So if the kids were talking to me right now, if you guys were not in the room and the kids were just talking to me and I asked them. So as of late, I hear you guys have started asking new questions and having new feelings. What commentary would you give me on this whole family journey? What would they say now?
4: I think they've handled it very well. It's when everybody else steps in and finds out, like their new teacher is like, oh, I didn't know your mom died. And then they want to feel sorry for them. And then they, our kids are like, they're part of a big family and they're going, wait a minute, can I benefit from this somehow? Mm -hmm. So if I make this more than it is, more than I feel, will I get more attention? And a few of them have really embraced that. And then with grandparents, you know, who try to reach out and remind them, hey, don't don't forget, you know, don't forget about this person. And and we don't we don't allow that either. But we don't we're not going to bring it up to try to make them sad. And I think a lot of the outside influence has done that. Hmm.
2: One of the things we generally advise people, and I'd love your reaction to this, is just keep the grief conversation going. Like whenever something pops, you go with it.
3: Yeah, I I think we do and we're back to looking at therapy again and some grief groups again and um we've seen too as they've aged more of this loyalty towards the bios that hmm. when they were younger they all just meshed and they had fun and they played and but we're we're seeing that movement towards the bios who feel safe now. Yeah. And then, you know, both of our youngest have absolutely no recollection of this person. Hmm. Who was their father or mother? And I think that's really painful that they're trying to work through that. And yeah. one other thing all of the kids, everything they think about in terms of late mom or dad is also, again, through that lens of sainthood. Mm. So if I ask them to clean their room or I get upset about something or whatever, it's, my
2: mom, would, my, have my mom would have never done that. My mom
3: would have never done that. Right. And he. He's taken the rein with those conversations. I don't necessarily feel like that's my place, but he'll sit down and say, no, your mom would have, you know, busted right. you too. So
2: blood talks to blood. That's a good yes. principle. Yes. I yes. mean, this is the journey of grief. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's a big takeaway, it's blended family does not repair what was lost. It creates something new, something different that has its own life, its own set of relationships. And you have to continue to grieve what has been lost developmentally along with children, different seasons of life, it just is. It's not a statement about you did it wrong or you shouldn't have done it this way or that way or the timing of it, don't do that to yourself. I think far too many people start unraveling their own story when they experience hiccups. That's not helpful and it's not accurate. Everybody experiences this in one form or another. It's just, all right, God, how do we handle this? Let's walk through it.
1: Man, hearing that story, wow. I mean, the, the question would be, if I'm the stepdad or mom, what do we do? How do we help hmm. our kids process?
2: Well, let's let's unpack step into their grief. I've, I've said that a couple of times. So what does that actually mean? Well, you can be intentional to go into those spaces in a blended family. Imagine a stepdad saying this to his stepchildren. Your dad's birthday is coming up. And, you know, I just love hearing the stories about your dad, but I also know this is a hard time. You'd love to be celebrating your dad this coming Friday, but he's not here. I just want you to know I'm sorry. Your pain is real. Um, Let's do something to honor him. What can we do? And by the way, if you don't want me to be there, that's fine. I just want to help you guys honor your dad. How can we do that? See, you're just creating permission for expressions of grief. And that coming from the stepdad Mm. makes all kinds of other statements. Things like, I'm not competing with your dad. Your relationship with your dad, even though he's deceased, is a good one. And I want to honor him. And I want to encourage your relationship and connection to him, your memories of him. We're not competing. That's an important statement. That helps kids know, okay, uh, you're not trying to erase and replace my dad. It's those sorts of things that then tells a child at the age of 10 or 15 or 6, I can talk about my dad and I don't have to worry about other people's feelings when I do that. That is what helps release grief. Mm -hmm. Another way to help step into kids' grief is when you see something, you hear something. You hear from a third party that the child is talking about their deceased parent. You know, find a way to bring that up, and and just go, um, man. I, you know, I I'm, imagine something's going on. For, I saw some sadness in your eye. Can you help me with that? What are you feeling? And you intentionally go there. You intentionally say the name of the person who's gone. You you do those things, hoping that the child feels comfortable to give expression. It's awkward. And you don't always have the words, and you're kind of afraid of what they might say. <laughs> and so you you say a prayer, you find your courage, and you open that door. Let me turn a corner and talk about ghosts for a minute. you got a whole chapter on this, and I, I really appreciated it a lot. I talk about ghosts a lot in my previous writing. Often, though, it's connected to a divorce narrative where you have that ghost of pain and heartache sitting on your shoulder, of how the relationship came apart. This is a little different when it's the ghost of a relationship that was good, that was happy, that was family was complete. It was something there. I'm not saying it was a perfect marriage. I'm just saying it was all right. It didn't unravel. Let's just talk around those things that sort of haunt you. As you move into a new relationship, Jess, you used to tell a story about red cooking pots. (laughs) Could you tell our listeners? I thought it was a great story.
3: (laughs) Well, when I married Ryan, he brought loads and loads and loads of paraphernalia from his previous life into my (laughs) new home. Paraphernalia. (laughs) And
2: (laughs) Lots of it. Lots Lots of of it. it.
3: And I didn't like most of it, to Mm -hmm. be honest. And (laughs) I would look at this stuff and just want to vomit. I didn't like it. And it Mm -hmm. was all over my house. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: And in particular, these bright red Teflon pots that he had bought her for her birthday. It was one of the nicest gifts he had ever gotten her. And he put them up in our new cupboards. And so every time I'm baking a nice dinner for my family, I'm using these red pots. And the issue was much deeper. I mean, we all understand that. And so one day I packed him up in a red or in a goodwill box and he saw them, and it, an argument ensued, you know, why would you get rid of these? They were mm. hundreds of dollars. I said, I don't like them. You know, your house should be a sanctuary of peace. And it didn't feel like that for me because it wasn't my stuff. Mm. And it was, it was like all tied to another woman yeah. who he had had an intimate relationship with and. I didn't feel like that was fair. Is that the
2: deeper issue for you? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah.
3: And I didn't like it either.
2: So you needed to get rid of him. Yeah. And he didn't want to get rid of him. And did you interpret that as he doesn't want to get rid of her?
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah,
2: that'll take you to a hard place.
4: <laughs> well, right. it was a it was a pretty <laughs> right. nasty fight, but it did work out later on because mm-hmm. what it did is it brought attention to me that I was unaware I had no idea what she was doing like it was like you just want to get rid of all my stuff I was totally oblivious to the meaning behind it and hmm. I, I honestly don't think it came out in that argument hmm. I think it came out later where it was I'm not even sure she knew deep down why she wanted to get rid of him so badly but on my side of it I grew up with nothing hmm. you know growing up my dad was gone and my mom raised me and my sister and she got married later on as I became a teenager, but it was hard like we had to work from the time we could and you don't throw away good stuff mm-hmm. and I spent you know a lot of energy and and time figuring out you know exactly what to buy her and all that stuff so mm-hmm. it was important to me, but it had nothing to do with um the intimacy of it that mm-hmm. that Jess felt from yeah. it um it was just more about. That's good quality stuff. (laughs) Don't don't just give it away.
2: Yeah. When it comes to symbols and meaning like that, you know, I just invite our listener. When something like that rises up inside you and you have a red cooking pot argument, ask yourself, what's going on with me? What is underneath this? What is driving me to really be worried about this and concerned about what this means to the other person? And what does that reveal in me? And usually there's something there. And whatever that strong emotion is, that pain or fear, uh, that's something you have to learn how to deal with and invite God to help you with it. It sounds like you guys have discovered a new truth about pots. Sometimes they are symbolic of prior relationships, but it doesn't necessarily have an implication for whether or not you have a strong
4: relationship. Have you gotten kind of around that? Yeah. I think so. I'd, yeah, I held on to that bitterness for quite a while though, mm-hmm. because I, I accepted it, but I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I still didn't understand it completely way back then, um, and I, and it really wasn't tied to my marriage. It was just it was something I didn't want to let go of, yeah. and, and that's right. And I didn't know why. It was something, yeah, that was valued to me. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily to the marriage, it was like I put forth effort and really thought this through and and I think the gift was really appreciated, and maybe that's me maybe, maybe that's more about what it was about, as I was appreciated mm. for it, um, but yeah, I held on to it for a while. But That's my own insecurity. Hmm. And that's something I had to really face. And I did later on. And I think that's why it's easier for us to communicate those things now.
2: Hmm. What I love, Ryan, about what you just said is that you got to what was underneath that for you. You got to the insecurity that was there. And you made a decision about whether or not you were going to hang on to that insecurity. I mean, oftentimes what we do when we get to these moments, and everybody listening right now has got a red cooking pot thing Mm -hmm. in your marriage. Everybody does. It's what reveals some insecurity in you about your relationship. We could list a thousand different cooking pot little arguments or or moments. At the end of the day, we have to decide what am I going to do with that insecurity in me? Am I going to let that rule me or am I going to figure out a new path around this? Or am I going to walk through this insecurity and trust you in spite of my insecurity. I mean, that's the moment where we grow up in relationships. I really believe that. And it takes a lot of patience, I think, for us as couples to listen to the other person, to hear their point of view, to try to give consideration to the need within it. And then at the same time, to give voice to what's troubling us and to do so in in an environment in a way that ultimately we can come together and say, "But our us matters." And how do I honor you in this red cooking pot <laughs> mm-hmm. conversation? And it's not always easy. I mean, no.
3: And early no. on, it led to explosive arguments. I yeah, would say now, when we feel something, we'll say to each other, "What's this really about?"
2: Mm-hmm. Good and, question.
3: And then it's a pause. What is this really about? Have the kids been? like driving me crazy today and i'm lashing out at him or am i feeling stressed because i took on too many projects or Mm -hmm. you know whatever it may be we don't really have those shrine arguments anymore um what we have is what we have and Mm -hmm. some of it's from his previous life some of it's from mine but we've accepted it like as our stuff now but we don't tend to have those explosive arguments over that kind of thing anymore
1: Yeah, I know, you know, the insecurities are real. I can remember the day that Anne's old boyfriend shows up on our (laughs) front porch because he had just signed with the Detroit Lions, and he wants to come to the team Bible study. And I'm like, not you, dude.
0: Maybe you should ask Ron where that insecurity came from. Yeah, where'd from? that come from, Ron?
1: <laughs> I mean, I let him in, and, uh, you know, I prayed for him that he would leave, and then he did. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, staring at him, it wasn't a red cooking pot, but it was like a person that represented. That's right. Wow, this is not easy. And, man, the Ronnies have, you yeah, know, really modeled for us. Reality and authenticity and vulnerability, but also, you know, how to navigate that. And I didn't even know there's a whole other aspect of their life with their eight blended kids that they right. have special needs kids.
2: They have one special needs child. And, you know, anybody in that situation knows that that reorients everything in your home, your structure of your home, the, the scheduling of your home. So for those that really want to learn from their experience, make sure you listen to the entire Family Life Blended podcast.
0: the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Marriage is a beautiful thing when it's working well, but when it's not, it can stretch us beyond what we ever thought possible. Would you be willing to contribute to our Save a Marriage Fund used to help sponsor everyday Australian couples who are on the brink? To give a gift, please navigate to our website at families.powertochange.org.au under the Helping Couples tab. Until tomorrow at the same time, God's richest blessings on your family.